All right. Recording the audio. ¿Qué pasó, cochinos en sucias? I'm that Mato Gallo. Welcome to another episode of Sucias Are My Favorite. In today's episode, I have once again my friend Monita from Arizona, and we have been having a conversation earlier. If you don't know, she's been a previous guest on my episode of Judeo-Christianity stuff and Kevin Samuels and dating, or something along those lines. Not too long ago, or about 20 episodes ago. I'd like to welcome you all again, once again, to rephrase that. Let me introduce you all once more to my friend, Monita. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much, Gallo, for having me back. I appreciate you for coming on. This is an interesting topic. I had to have you, when you uh, messaged me about a question earlier for the previous episode, I was like, you know what? That that would make a great episode. So I'm bring you on because it was a random question. So I appreciate it. And now we have another kind of follow-up question to the whole I still haven't thought of an idea or the name of the title. So by the time you hear this, there will be a title for episode 41. And for this episode, I don't know what to call it. Or actually, I don't know what the episode's going to be called at this time. And now we're going to be talking about what it takes to keep and or maintain a healthy, strong relationship. So Juanita, what do you think it would take to keep and maintain a healthy relationship? Well, the first thing is it's a choice. So recognizing that this is about something you choose and not about feelings. I think people get really confused about that a lot. Love is a choice. It's a decision you make. And knowing that there are times when you have to choose that every single day, and sometimes you have to choose it like a million times in the day, depending on thing, how things are. Because... Um, relationships have like everything they have ups and downs you know it shouldn't be it's not like it should be like torturously hard work but there are certainly going to be times where you're in a flow state and things are all going fantastic and then there's going to be other times where you have to work through some stuff and so you have to be really willing to to do that one of the things I heard somebody else say that has really resonated with me about relationships and um, building and maintaining strong relationships is everybody says uh, that communication is the key. This is commonly uh, known said phrase. And so if communication is the key, then vulnerability is the lock. Vulnerability is the lock on a solid relationship. Yeah. And I, uh, the reason that resonates so much for with me is when you are with a partner and you're building something, it's important to be able to really be honest about who you are and what your stuff is. And sometimes you have to get real vulnerable and share things like, oh, feelings, Feelings aren't always easy to talk about, even with someone that you care, really care about or love. So being honest about your feelings, that can feel super squishy and vulnerable. And then, you know, letting them know what you need when you're afraid they're not going to be down for that, that feels vulnerable. I mean, there's a lot of ways 
for you, has that, has that been true? Can you think of times when you had to feel vulnerable or you felt vulnerable in your relationships? I'm really thinking right now and I, I'm thinking now that I'm an asshole. Of course, I, I'm not saying that I'm invulnerable or that I don't um, share feelings or do anything like that. It's just, I'd never thought of it that way. So it's, it's kind of like I'm processing what you're saying right now still and still trying to think about my past. And I can see your point. I'm just, I've, I, never, I never thought of it that way. Um, as far as like communication is a key to relationships and vulnerability is a lock. Um, I also didn't think love is a choice. I always thought love was, um, I guess natural or more instinctual than, um, mental or logical. Because when you say it's a choice in my mind, I process that or see that or hear it as, okay, I'm logically choosing this person. And to me, love defies logic. So it's, it's like a lot of information that I'm trying to process right now. So I'm not trying to ignore or deflect. I'm just <laughs> like, okay, this is, this is new yeah. and not confusing, but I guess males and females like attack projects or, or problems differently. So I'm analyzing this with my mental, hmm, love is a choice, comms is a key, vulnerability is a lock. So that, that's a lot of information to process. I'm going to circle back to this, the whole whole thing. I'll, I'll sit and think a little more on that. Love is a choice. Well, I, I, I appreciate what you said about like love, how it first hits you. And then I think about, you know, that new relationship energy where you're feeling real, like, uh, you know, butterflies or I don't know. I don't know how that it plays out for you, but for me, you know, it's the butterflies and you want to talk to them all the time and, you know, feel all googly eyed and stuff when you see them. And, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, something that has a shelf life that doesn't last forever. That that's why it's new relationship energy. It's at the beginning. And so during that time, I do think love is, is natural. It's there, it's flowing. And then as you go on, it, it's not as at the front because you're doing life together then. And when you start doing life together, then there's other things that come in. And so that decision to love becomes more important. And, you know, it's a verb, it's an action. So it's something that you have to, uh, Keep, I don't know. I, I was going to say keep to the forefront of your mind, but I don't really know if that's exactly true, but it's definitely something that you have to be aware of and you have to do and not, not simply let happen. Like it's going to float around in the air and you're going to keep catching it. Okay. Now I'm tracking. Um, when you, when you first said love, I was thinking more of the initial relationship, not the continuing of the relationship. But yes. So I agree. When, once, you, once you're in a relationship, you're trying to keep it going. And that, of course, takes work. So I agree with that. And it takes work. Um, it's a choice. So I had heard that love has worked before. And that I saw, well, yeah, you have to work on the relationship every day. You have to work together. But of course, you have to choose to work on the relationship. If you don't choose to, that no work's going to happen. So I, I get the point now. So yes, that, that makes total sense. Yay. 
<laughs> so with maintaining or keeping a healthy relationship, yes, communication is key. Vulnerability is a lock. So that, man, I think we could wrap up the, the podcast already with 10 minutes in. I think that covers everything. But I wonder uh, what, it, what it took for you to realize or learn all these components to make a relationship work, the, the communication, vulnerability, and the choice. Like, what did it take for you to, to come to these realizations? Some of it is things, you know, I would read or I would hear, but uh, honestly, a lot of it, I it got real solid by not having those things and not feeling them or not, you know, noticing that these things are lacking. And especially for me, that vulnerability part, because A, it's just, it's hard for me in general to be vulnerable in any situation. I'm not really great at asking for help from anyone at any time in any way. I just want to do it all myself, uh, which is, you know, not, not the best way to live. So it's something that I've had to learn just at the asking for help is okay, but it requires vulnerability even to ask for help. And for some of us, even to ask for help on silly little things that shouldn't be a big deal can make you feel very vulnerable. So in your relationship, you should be able to, to talk about these things and ask for them. But I was in a relationship for a long time where I couldn't, because if I asked for anything, it was like catastrophized as you know, the sky is falling and it doesn't even have to be a big thing. Or if something happened, like an example could just be like, something's up with the car and we need to get the car licked out. So if I mentioned it, then, you know, well, this is going to cost us thousands of dollars and the world is ending, you know? So when you hear that stuff enough, you just stop talking about it. So that was a lesson, a hard lesson to learn and uh, really opened my eyes to the things that, that I value and that are, that are important. Also, you know, I, the same person wouldn't really, was the type of person that wouldn't share what was going on until it built up so much that, that they exploded. So they didn't know how to be vulnerable either. So it was, um, you know, honestly, through not having it and then seeing how important it is, is what really solidified all of this for me. Well, I mean, it's good that you had the lesson. Um, unfortunately, it, I guess it took the relationship. Uh, it, the, I guess you lost the relationship itself to learn that. Um, and I, I think that happens to a lot of us. It's, it's trial and error. And also, I think in general, just lack of communication that, let me rephrase that. In some instances, not all, but some instances, the lack of communication is a problem. And then if you do communicate, then you're going to have to deal with what you had had is, um, you know, the, the over, over magnification of a problem or making something bigger than what it is. And so I would say maybe couples therapy could help. I'm not saying it, it would or would have helped your situation. I'm just saying that sometimes therapy can help. And it, it should be seen as an option versus uh, a stigma. Oh, you need help. Oh, sorry for your relationship. That kind of whole uh, connotation that a lot of people have with it. And even I, I still have the same 
ideas about mental health, physical health. Like uh, I've only gone to the doctor for uh, breaking bones, pneumonia, and a kidney stone and or physicals for pre-employment, like pre-employment physicals, piss tests, all that kind of stuff. Those are the only times I've been to the doctor. Otherwise, I don't go. I feel like I don't need it. I'm fine. Why do I need to go to the doctor if I'm doing well? And same thing with mental health. Like I know I have issues that I need to speak on, resolve and work on. And it would be faster, better with a mental health professional. But I still have that stigma that or medicine means that you're weak, that you have a weakness in you. So you need medicine. So if you don't need medicine, you're not weak. And so if I need a mental health professional, then of course I'm a fag because I need something that only fags or gays or whatever, like the weak, the snowflakes, all those. And I'm saying that facetiously. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with gays or fags or whatever. It's just a over magnification of, or an oversimplification or reductiveness of what my thoughts were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So it, keeping that in mind, I think we still need to figure out a way to move past these barriers through these stigmas, through these um, hindrances to be a better person. Because I remember hearing the uh, the hierarchy of needs, I forgot it was who it's named after, but the whole of self-accusation and then helping people out. And I was like, why would I want to help anyone out? Why, like, and this is me as a teen, why on earth would I care to help other people? Like, fuck the world, fuck everybody else. My problems aren't being met. So I'm just gonna worry about me. And it wasn't until my 30s that I realized, oh shit, you know, helping other people would make the, the world better. And it's an uphill battle. And sometimes I think, yeah, fuck it, fuck the world. Why should I bother? But at the same time, I do realize that the world's where it's at because not everybody else bothers. Right, yeah. And I mean, I think, your attitude was a fairly common young person attitude where young people, teens, you're necessarily selfish as you're figuring out your life. Um, I mean, there are some that are all obsessed with volunteering and that's cool too, but even then they still are have their selfishness as they're figuring things out in a totally appropriate way. That's how it should be. And, and I agree with you about therapy. I, I don't know that there's a person on the planet that at some point in their life wouldn't or couldn't have benefited from some type of therapy. A second thing that came to mind as you were talking was there's also coaching. So it kind of depends on what your struggles are. Like therapy is for the past, like untangling things from your past that are contributing to behaviors that you have now and you want to, um, you know, work through all of that. But, and then coaching is for looking towards the future and building uh, strong relationships. There's, you can work with a coach on your relationship. Now that that's again, assuming that you're, you know, there's not a bunch of stuff from your past that's dragging you down that you need to work on first. And I wonder um, how many people that are like, yeah, I can't handle therapy because of the reasons you mentioned might be down for coaching because coaching is like, hey, right, I'm being coached. Sounds different than like, I'm visiting a mental health professional. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with, with a coach, it sounds like, oh, man, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting my life in gear. It's like a personal trainer, but he can take care of a team of people and this, that, and the other. And 
it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I'd considered, um, getting into like being a life coach or quote, but then again, it also feels like a new wave, Los Angeles hips, not hipster, but you know, the whole vegan hippie shit. But then at the same time, I've also, I've been technically coaching some guys into getting better with just approaching females and talking to them and realizing just other things about life. And so I'm like, okay, maybe there isn't, there is something to this coaching thing because it's not so much of a um, stigma of being a mental health professional and helping someone solve their shit in their past. You're helping someone deal with what they have now and how to move forward with it. Whether or not they learn to deal with their past or get rid of it, at least how to manage it in a healthy way to move forward with whatever their plans or goals are. Because I think everyone has some type of trauma that they've either normalized, internalized, or amplified that makes things worse. So, you know, someone else could, or say like twin twins, same life experiences, they grow up the same household, um, no way to really have preferential treatment of one over the other, other than one's really good in school and the other is like a rebel, you know, and they always have different personalities because they try so hard to not be like the other, but they also, I think, find themselves sooner and I have no idea where I was going with the twins analogy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That the same life experience can affect two nearly identical people in a different way to where if a grandparent dies young or when they're young, then they could either have a fear of making close connections with people because they don't want to lose them. And the other might want to have deeper connections with people because they know they can lose them. So it's just something that's internal and something that needs to be worked through. And I think a coach could be great in helping people move forward with their lives. Like, okay, look, address what you have, address your problems that you have now. We're not going to try to fix them or un unravel them. We're just going to help you carry this with you. How to, I guess, more healthily drag your baggage along with you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm in a coaching program now. And so learning a lot of these different things. And one of the interesting things that I learned in a, a session that was specifically to relationships was from a relationship coach. And she said that when she is coaching a couple, she's in service to the relationship. So it's almost as if the relationship is the client mm, okay. rather than the two partners. And I thought that that was really an interesting perspective. Yeah. Cause I've never heard or thought of a relationship as an entity. It's always you know, how's the relationship going, what you're working on, but it's more of a object than an entity, more like a goal than like a project than something of its own that needs to be nurtured. And, you know, thinking of kink relationships, yeah, it, it is a relationship regardless of whether it's kink or vanilla, that it needs to be treated as its own thing that needs to be taken care of, that both people take care of. I guess you could, I guess the analogy I'm thinking of in my head is like a plant. You're both trying to keep the plant alive. One of you, the sunshine, one of you, the nutrients, both of you pour in the water or something along those lines. It's just off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that's a, a good analogy and, and super valid. And I, I thought that that was a really cool distinction. And, and even as you're speaking, just the reminder that the relationship is its own living, breathing, evolving entity. It's only going to grow if, back to the plant, if it's being exposed to sunlight and water and nutrients. How's, how's your soil, right? Mm -hmm. Think about that with your relationships. How's that soil you got? What kind of foundation? Where are you, where are you planting? And, and is all of that in service to your relationship? Is it, is it making things stronger or have you, uh, 
did you cheap out and you're in the crappy soil? <laughs> yeah. And then it, it was along with that analogy, it's like, you know, a plant can survive a lot. It, I mean, it, it mm-hmm. really only takes food, soil, water, and sun. And it's just varying degrees. Now it'll grow healthier and bigger if you give it the right proper amounts of things. But yeah, you can, you can one or the other uh, a person in a relationship can slack off for a day or two, just have a bad day, have a bad week that they're mopey or whatever. And it, another thing that I was learning or going through with relationships with my first wife, we saw a therapist is that, you know, yeah, as long as you're both contributing a hundred percent to the relationship doesn't mean hundred percent each it's a hundred percent total for the relationship. You know, some days I'll give 10%, she'll do 90 other days. She'll do 20 and I'll do 80. And then of course there's going to be times that we're both doing just 10%. And yeah, it's not going to be great for the relationship, but at least we're trying, at least we're not letting the relationship die or, you know, completely ignoring watering the plant. Maybe we plant with the raw or water with the wrong pH, but at least we're watering it and it might cause more problems down the line but at least we're doing something now to keep it going. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you you can have seasons. You know, we go through those seasons, seasons of plenty and seasons of want, seasons where things are not as as great as they could be. And I I think when you're talking about like how those percentages, it was reminding me again of how, you know, Communication is the key and vulnerability is the lock. So if if I'm in a 10% space, then I I need to be communicate and make myself vulnerable and share with my partner, like, hey, X, Y, and Z are happening. Or I don't even, I don't even know what's going on with me right now, but this is all I've got. And I'm trying to figure it out. And you know, like I'm I'm here for you, but this is all I can do today. No, and and that's great. Communication is, like I said, the the key, right? Or like you said, sorry, you said the communication is key. And that's right, I did. <laughs> and um, in other relationships, or, or even in sub or dating relationships that I'm in, I'll let them know, like, hey, look, sometimes I'll be in a bad mood, and I'll let you know when I walk in or when I see you, like, hey, look, you know, I don't know why I'm mad. Something's bothering me. Don't expect me to be my happy-go-lucky usual self. I'm going to be over here quiet, thinking about things. So I'm not contemplating breaking up with you or ending things with you. So don't overthink things. I'm letting you know I'm in a bad mood and, you know, to just, I guess, kid gloves. Not that you have to like baby me or walk around on eggshells around me that I'm going to explode. Just let you know that if I seem like I'm in a bad mood, it's not that you cause it. It's just something external. I know something else did it. I just don't know what it is. I'm trying to figure it out. So don't feel bad about it or don't uh, go down a rabbit hole. What brings that to mind, I'm sure you've seen, is that those memes, couples in bed and both facing away from each other, and you see them both, and she's thinking, I bet he's thinking about that other girl. And he's like, man, my car won't start today. I turned the engine. I tried this. I tried that. And he's just going through a list of things, nothing related to what she's worried about, but because he's not behaving normally, she's making assumptions that aren't there because neither of them communicated. Again, with how I always say, use your words. So I always let someone know, hey, look, I'm in a bad mood don't fuck with me today. Don't mess with me. Just, you know, be whatever. And the same thing, I expect them to let me know, Hey, you know, my kid got an F in school. Like, all right, fine. You're in a bad mood because your kid, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't care about your kid. Fuck off. All right. I know. So, you know, that we'll have this established beforehand. Like, okay, fine. I'm cool with hearing, okay, your kid's this, your kid's that fine. I'm not going to take a big interest, but I'm also not going to tell you, Hey, your kid's stupid. and I don't want to hear about it unless your kid really is stupid. 
You know, it's always good to be honest. It's important to be honest because otherwise you got to suffer through miserable stuff. And, you know, if I never told a girlfriend, oh, I don't like kids and they're going to expect me to be at kid events. Like what what do kids do anyways that, that they have um, plays and like, why do I have to go to school to watch them get an award? Just give them the fucking award in class. Why do I have to take time after work when I could be at home watching TV or going out to eat? And why do I have to do all this shit with 500 other kids and teachers and students? And no, fuck off. Yeah. I mean, some of the parents, we feel that way too. So um, when you were talking about the example of those memes, it just reminded me of our own human nature that in the absence of actual information, we're going to make up stories. We're going to tell ourselves something to try and figure it out. And so often those stories that we make up can lead to misunderstandings, hurt feelings, just a person feeling bad about themselves or taking on things that aren't theirs to take on. Hmm, Sorry. I was writing down. So absence of information, what? In the absence of information. We make up stories. We make up stories. We make up stories. So exactly what that meme was, that's what was happening, right? The dude is thinking about his car, but the chick is like making up this story. There's something else going on. And what you talked about doing is exactly how you avoid that. You walk in and you say, had a shitty day. It's not about you. Yeah. And that's important. And even I didn't start doing that until like the past mm, 10, 10 ish years. Before that, I would just like, I guess, make the assumption that, okay, yeah, just leave me alone. I have this ugly mug, leave me alone. Don't talk to me, whatever. But I'd never thought of in the absence of information, we make up stories because in the military, at least my, my job, my MOS, which was intelligence analyst is that we got to take things at face value. So we have to, we can't make assumptions unless we know the unknown. And it's, it's, it's hard to, to explain knowing the unknown, but an example would be if we know, say Iraqi army is made up of 500,000 troops, total completely. We know this for a fact. And a particular company or a group of subset of this army drives in Ford F-150s. And if there's one Ford F-150, that means there's going to be six soldiers, uh, four in the cab and two in the back. One is going to be manning a machine gun. The other is going to be making sure that the ammo is always good. There's going to be a driver. There's going to be a passenger. The passenger is going to be working the radio. One guy is going to be in the back watching the map. And then two of the guys in the passenger window are going to be watching for enemies. So just by knowing that there's an F-150, then you can, you can extrapolate. So I, my mind was trained early on to be more scientific in you only make, not even educated guesses, but you, you only make your guesses or you make assumptions based on established patterns, not on something that you think could possibly happen. So with the, the using the meme as an example, she's making up a story that he's cheating, but does he have a history of cheating? If he doesn't, why is she jumping to that conclusion? She's using her previous experiences as that example. Whereas a guy, he doesn't cheat. He's just a happy-go-lucky guy that's happy to have a girlfriend and he's worried about what he has. So no one worries or thinks about having that communication. So realizing that the lack of information causes misinformation, then we should be more cautious in communicating effectively versus using memes, using jokes, using shorthand, using emojis, um, using more well-articulated 
written text versus emojis or you are for your whatever, you know, because condensing information can cause misinformation. That's true. And on the flip side, people should feel okay asking for information. And, and something that I have done before in my relationships, when I don't know what's going on and my brain is starting to go to the bad place is straight up say, you know, I see this behavior. And so the story I'm telling in my head is that you're mad at me because you came home from work and you're hungry and I didn't make dinner and that's not done yet. And, or, you know, you're mad at me because whatever the thing is, right? But by by just communicating and saying, hey, this is the story I'm making up in my head, typically the receiver can hear that as, as not an attack at all and recognize that, oh yeah, she's saying this is about her and I can see that. And then they, and it's a vulnerable space to be as well because you're admitting that you're getting a little bit of in the bad place with your brain. And that's not easy to share sometimes. You're coming from a place of vulnerability. So then your partner can see that and just straight up say like, oh yeah, no, it's because my car didn't start this morning or whatever. My boss is an ass or I don't know. There was too much traffic, whatever it is, who knows? Or, or you don't even know. I'm not even sure. I'm just in a bad mood. And I do know that it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> so the stories that we tell ourselves um, are, can really be a big deal if we don't know how to manage them and to honestly communicate them. Yes, I totally agree with that, that not being able to communicate with each other. And if you're too fearful to communicate with someone, then that's probably an issue as well. If you're afraid Mm -hmm. to tell your significant other something, then that might be something more about the relationship or your partner than you. So if you are in that situation, please seek help, whether you're male or female. Granted, females do have more uh, domestic violence resources available to them. But even if you're male, don't don't be afraid to speak out. Yeah, you're, you might get made fun of at the precinct if you're complaining that your five foot nothing girlfriend is beating the crap out of you all the time. But the opposite is worse, that you end up in prison for years because you raise your hand to defend yourself And she has a scratch or a bruise on her wrist compared to you being black and blue because she uses whatever. So whoever whoever you are, if you're listening, please don't be afraid to seek help. Don't be afraid to reach out and get the assistance you need, male or female. It doesn't matter. No one's going to judge you. Well, males probably, but please don't let that keep you from seeking help. Yeah, 100%. That's a really great call out. Nobody should be um, stuck in a situation where they're being physically, mentally, emotionally abused. So yeah, just ask yourself, am I afraid to say anything to my significant other? Yeah, you might be afraid to let him know that you spent $1,000 at the casino or bought you know, $5,000 worth of lottery tickets. Yeah, then you probably brought that upon yourself. But if you're afraid to tell them, hey, you know, the car broke down or I got a flat tire or something that's out of your control, and that causes fear and anxiety in your life. And that's something you probably need to speak to a friend or someone in authority or someone in a mental health position or even a doctor, someone, um, priest, lawyer, religious, just make sure you seek help and let someone else outside of the relationship know. So you can get some feedback to realize, hey, maybe something is wrong with this relationship or maybe I need to work on something myself. Yeah, 100%. That's great advice. 
I've been in that situation. It's not, it's not a fun place to be and it's not easy to get out of, but yeah, people, those people in your inner circle that you really trust, they're not going to steer you wrong. Yeah. I'd be jealous of you, but I doubt they'll steer you wrong, but jokes aside, let's, um, We'll not move on, but staying with this topic of maintaining or keeping a healthy relationship, what do you seek in a male? So not just a communication part, but let's say you were in a relationship. What are things that you seek that let you know, okay, he's serious about this. He wants to stay in this for the long run. Um, what would it, what would be things that he can do besides again, communication and vulnerability to let you know that he wants you around and he's trying to keep the relationship going? I think a lot of it boils down to the little things and how much he pays attention. So what does he really know about me? Does he know? Um, and, and then how does he show me that he knows it? What does he remember that I've shared? And it's not, you know, it's not like you have to remember every little thing, but I, I come from a space where I really, my intention is to really manage expectations. So unless you straight up tell me you're going to do something, then I'm not going to have that expectation. When somebody does something or shows me that they paid attention to something I said, it A, can shock the shit out of me because I do not expect it. But then B, once I get over my shock, it like really says something to me about the person and their interest in me. And I'm the kind of person that I kind of tend to reserve my own feelings and, and you know, I'm not really going to jump into something until I'm starting to feel safe and secure that the other person is tending to move that way as well. So, so it's really helpful when they take the lead. I also, I don't chase men. So show me that you're interested, you know, like, cause if you don't, then bye boy, bye. Like <laughs> I'm going to be fine. <laughs> so it does. And when I say that, I don't mean like you have a man would have to, you don't have to do a lot. Just again, pay attention, say things to me. Don't make me lead the whole conversation. Cause also I won't cause I don't chase men. So stuff like that. No, it makes sense. I'll, I'll try to boil it down for listeners if, if I heard you correctly. So you want males or the, the male in your, your relationship that you have an interest in to show interest by paying attention to what you say and um, repeating them and in a way or showing it that he has paid attention or he has listened. So maybe let's say you're into pigs or stuffed pigs or whatever. So he takes you to Piggly Wiggly if you go on a road trip or uh, buys you a stuffed pig or a little random thing, but something that he knows or something that you've mentioned that you like or enjoy. And it, it could be a little chachi that he gives you maybe, you know, two or three times a year, just random travels that he does so that he shows not only that he listens, but he cares enough to get you something out of the way, or even if he makes it, even if he doesn't have the money to buy something that he can make you something, but show an interest in who you are in what you like and not just, okay, this is my girlfriend or this is my booty call. So all I have to know, remember her name and kind of remember her birthday, maybe what year she was born in, maybe what month she was born in, or even her sign, but not actually know her birthday. So a little more effort than that, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't even, the, the little gifts are, are totally cool and super sweet, but, 
but yet, like you were saying, it doesn't even have to be like that. It can just be if I told you about a project I'm working on and a week or two later, you ask me how it's going or you saw something that reminded you of, of that project and you send it to me, a link or something like that kind of stuff. It's, it speaks volumes and it's like life and love is the little in-between moments. Movies want us to believe that it's all the big stuff and the fireworks and all of that. And those things are really fun and great, but you know, real life is the, the tiny in-betweens, the stuff in the cracks, the things that not everybody sees. Yes. At least personally, to me, sometimes those little moments have more value, have more meaning, have a more lasting impression than something big. Like I can't remember the dates that I went to a huge or major theme park in Houston, but I can remember little things on a river or going horseback riding on my grandfather's ranch. Although it was terrifying and somewhat traumatizing seeing my aunt get thrown off and have her thighs kicked by a horse, but I remember it, you know? Not that I should be excited about remembering that, but, um, you know, it's, it's little things that you realize because there was a lot of stuff that surrounded that event that are important and are memorable. And even if it isn't as shocking or as big as getting thrown off a horse, but, you know, the first time you tried something, the first time you did something else, you know, it, it is the little things that stand out in your life. And hopefully we can realize that and pull away from spending so much time on social media and sharing memes and looking at big booty bitches on Instagram and, you know, being on TikTok. Although I guess on TikTok, you do learn a lot of life lessons if you, I don't know what you got to do to get to them, but eventually you get up on a, a string of life hacks and life lessons. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, super spot on, but it's the, uh, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's like, it's not about when you think about like relationships and people who make an impact in your life, it's not so much about what they did or said, but it's how they make you feel. So it's those feelings that that really stick with you. And those things really tend to happen more in the quiet, small places than they do in the big extravagant ones. Yes, 100% agree. Well, listeners, I want to thank you for making it this far. Bonita, have you have anything else you want to add to this or do you think we beat this horse enough? I think we've done, we've done quite enough here. Good, sir. <laughs> well, once again, Bonita, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you coming on and your perspective and your, your, how articulate you are and your eloquence in how you deliver all this information, because you, I see you take notes and you're not just a passive listener waiting to, to say what your opinion is. You actually have a rebuttal or have a, have something to contribute. And I appreciate that. So hopefully our listeners hear that in the message. And I want to bring you back on for future episodes. So thanks again, Bonita, for being here. Thanks again, listeners, for being here and putting up with this for this long. I love you. You're worthy of it. Until next time, besos.